A warm welcome to the Big Small Business Show. On our menu today, in Psyche of Success, I'm interviewing Vusi Tembe Choir. Vusi happens to be one of the best speakers, not just in South Africa, but in the world. On our panel section, uh, Kumaran and I are discussing with Lindiwe Shimbambo, um, and it's ready for those businesses that are battling with their business model. This is the section for you. And finally, we end off the show with Colleen Larson, who's going to speak about networking and how to think about networking in a different way. On today's Psyche of Success, we have my old friend, Vusi Tebekwaya, a global business speaker, speaker extraordinaire. Hmm. That's what I can say. Vusi, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We go back a long time when you were learning how to speak and I was <laughs> learning how to speak and uh, you, you made a career out of it. Yeah. How many years is that? What? That's 14 years? 12, yeah, 14 years? 14 years ago. Jeez, it's been yeah. a long time. Yeah. But you, you made it as a world-class speaker. How did that happen? I think, um, well, thanks for the compliment first, but I, th I think a clarity of what you want to do is really important. Mm. So when I... When I started, I was very clear that I wasn't something else and a speaker. Mm -hmm. I was a speaker and then who could do other things. And so my, my time, deliberate focus, attention has been on building this business of speaking. So in the early years, I did what most speakers do, as, mm. I suppose, as do most entrepreneurs. You try what everybody else in your field is trying. And over time and through practice, you realize where the gaps are, what other mm. people are getting wrong. Mm -hmm. And what I identified was gaps were vast in my space. And so I just try to plug them. I try to fill them. There's still massive gaps for us to fill. So I know there's longevity in the business and in the business model. But for now, it's just around building a business. So I just clarity of vision in the beginning and, and then having the tenacity to see through that vision. Now, I've spoken with you on stage and I've been in the audience. And each time I, I see you, there's different content. And that content <laughs> is incredible. Do you spend a huge amount of your time thinking about the content. Yeah, so I, one of the gaps I identified was when I came into speaking, mm. what, what happened was speakers got what they called a, a hit track, mm. one talk yes. that got them booked. They practiced it page to page, cover to cover. They practiced the pauses. It became really staid, very animated. Mm. And there was no real sense of flair and, 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 and genuine thought. And I thought, well, that's a problem. That doesn't look right. The second thing I identified was the content was just really old. Mm. And what good speakers did, the good ones, was they relied on their ability to deliver it well mm. versus whether or not the content was strong. So I thought, well, I think I'm a kind of an okay speaker, but what would happen if I married my ability of oratory with really great content? So it costs me, and it still does, it costs me a fair bit of bob to generate the content. We have a very strong process in the business of research where we generate content and we test that content. So in a very small scale, not dissimilar to what Jim Collins does, you come up with a theory and you test the theory, and then you find a model that works for that theory and you create empirical evidence around that model. And I'm the only one that can share it. So the reason you would see me on stage deliver different content, the reason my business grew 461% year on year last year, is precisely because clients know that if I booked him, if I book him again, he's going to come at it from a different angle, new content, fresh thinking, up-to-date stuff. So it's not just me booking another guy who went to the Google and Googled something. It's something really fresh and authentic. 
Now, the one thing that is very clear about you is that you're a businessman, that, that you are your own brand, and you've built a business underneath your brand to mm. support your brand. Mm. And you're very serious about building the business of the business. <laughs> Talk to me about that. That's hard. I think the, the hardest thing for me has been understanding that it isn't how good I am on stage that's going to make me successful in the long run, but it's how well I build this machinery that, that builds me. So how well I build the administration function, that's difficult. We were having a conversation about that just now. How well I build the branding and marketing aspect. How well I build the fiduciary aspect, so making sure that my taxes are up to date and all the rest of it. I mean, I'm domiciled here and in Jersey, in the UK. So, so I have to be very careful about how I structure my business because I've got a strong international business, strong local business. And what I identified very early on is as you grow, the pains you go through are equally, equally difficult. So a problem at a small level and a problem at a big level are very different problems, but they're equally painful. And it's, it's really important just to get the small things in, in place. So I focus my attention on just build the small things, get the small things right, and get the detail taken care of. I think what a lot of entrepreneurs do is you get so excited by the business of the business. You want to be the guy standing in front of the till selling to customers and interacting. You're not really worried about, well, who's doing your working capital cycle and your cash management processes and who's handling legal and what happens when a client doesn't pay on time? And do you have mm. policies and procedures and the rest of it? And it's to get into it, it seems really intimidating, but to do it and do it right is liberating because mm. once it's done, it sets you free to do the things you need to do. Now, you're not no stranger to pain. <laughs> You've been through your fair share of pain, right? Sure. As sure. a young, young, man, young boy, in sure. fact. Sure. You, you, you witnessed your father passing away. Sure. And I remember in, in, in when, when I first met you, there was a big part of, of what you spoke about. Mm. Is, does this still drive you today? I think still very much uh, in the back of my mind. I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, um, you know, I think my singular mission is, is always just to make sure that I can leave a legacy, a legacy for my children, the type of which my father left for me. He wasn't well known by any stretch of the imagination, but he was very important in my life. And, and there's something about, I suppose, going through trauma, watching your own father take nine bullets in front of you, that um, it does something to your mind. Mm. So, so my perspective is always, you're only going to have one shot at it. My perspective is always, if you get given an opportunity, make the best of it. Be on time. Be present. Bring your best self into the room, or don't go into the room at all. Because you never know when that's going to be the last time you get a chance to walk into that room and make that impression. Uh, it sounds quite morbid. No, but it's giving you a sense of urgency. What you've taken from a sense of urgency, a, a sense of being in the present, a sense of being the best. Mm. I find, sorry, Alon, I find certainly now there's so many distractions mm. that people are just not in the room. You know, we're in the room, mm. but we're not here. Mm. We're always doing something or someone else. We're having a conversation outside of the physical spaces we're in, when in truth, there's just so much richness to just being here and being still and silent and in this moment and focused on what you have to do. Now, in, in, in business, I must confess that that took me a long time to bed down, mm. to go, if I'm handling an admin issue, I'm focusing on it. And I know the sales and marketing stuff that's got to be done. I'm going to focus on this. And if I'm handling a sales and marketing issue, I know there's a strategy issue, an operations issue, a finance issue. I'll come to it. But I'm going to focus on this, this sort of tunnel view of just being present and in the moment. Because what it allows you to do is to apply yourself, to be diligent, to be clear. And the results you generate out of that 
then begin to build a habit and form a habit of just being in the present moment every time. You built uh, an international business, as you say. Many people have battled to go beyond the South African borders. Mm. Did you have a lucky break? Mm. Was it a strategy? How did you do that? That's a very clear, deliberate strategy. Very, very clear. I was very clear that I wanted most of my revenues to come from outside South Africa than in South Africa, purely for commercial reasons. I mean, look at the rent to the pound. You have to be a genius to work it out. Um, so one of the things I, s I started to do was to connect with agencies in other parts of the world and say, this is who I am and this is what I do, and it takes time. So people don't know you. Mm. The other thing I was also very clear on, and it's, it's funny, my father used to say to me, so my dad was an avid reader. I'll never forget one day, you know, having a conversation. I said to him, why do you enjoy reading so much? And he said, because there are a few things a man can leave behind in this world. One is what he builds. The other is what he writes. And it's always stuck with me in my mind. So even through the years, you get an opportunity for publishing deals. And I'd always ask myself a question. Am I at the stage where I'd like to leave something behind? And, and I've not yet been ready. Now, this is important because when you access the international speaking circuit, the first thing you get asked is, well, what book have you written? And you go, mm. I don't have a book. Mm. I go, wait a minute, then, then you're not a thought leader. Mm. You know, because it's thought, you know, the minute you publish something with 250 pages, you qualify as a thought leader type thing. So I had to be very deliberate around my engagement strategies with those agencies. Mm -hmm. We built a press kit in the business, mm -hmm. which is a body of work, of the work I've done, had it beautifully branded, cost us a few bob, but then we started developing those relationships with those agencies. And out of risk, I just get on a flight and fly there and go and meet them and say, this is who I am and this is what I do. And then I found out about the speakers associations in those parts of the world. So I went there and I went to the meetings. This is who I am and this is what I do. So you've, you've got to be present in those markets. I must just add something very quickly if I can. It's equally important to build a lifestyle that allows you to be present. And in mm. the early days, I didn't. Mm. In the early days when money started coming, I thought it was my money. Mm. So I started spending it, you get into debt, and you get yourself into serious trouble. And what happens is, it encumbers you because I can't mm. move because mm. I, you know, I need 100,000 Rand a month to pay my stuff. I don't have it, so I've got to. Whereas what happened was, the minute I just said, well, let me build this business and build it correctly, and the lifestyle stuff will come, the freedom came, and all of a sudden revenues shoot through the roof mm. because you're now able to do the things you need to do, mm. and you're free to do those things, and you're not worried about whether or not you can make your month-end installment on the car. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a different mindset, especially as a young black person in South Africa today. You know, when you pull into that shisanya, you get adjudicated by whether or not what car you're driving, right? Mm. And you need a, a, a certain strength and character to go, yeah, that'll come. I'm, I'm building something for the long term, yeah. Mr. Temukwai, always, always, <laughs> always a pleasure, world class. And before, before I, I, I end this, I just want to ask, what's next? We, we've just built a, a private equity fund. We're busy now with our private placement and raising capital. And, and I'm hoping in the next 10 years or so that that's all, what I'll be doing full time. But my journey in public speaking is not yet complete. There are a few ticks I've still got to cross. And, um, and the minute I've ticked those boxes, I will then make the, the move full time. But of course, as you know, much better than I, that you always live your life in anticipation of the next 10 years. Mm. So even though you're working today, you're building the dream for the next 10 years, and you're doing things today that set you up for the next 10 years. And so that's what I'm busy doing, doing a whole lot of stuff for today, or doing a whole lot more stuff for our 10-year plan and our 10-year dream and our 10-year vision. Mr. Timbaland, you're right. Thank you so much for having Thank me. Thank you. Stay tuned for our panel discussion.
This is the Big Small Business Show where we assist business owners to realize their short-term goals. Now, Mona Lisa is in Botswana this week, so I'm left with uh, my co-host here, Kumaran Padiachi. Hi, Kumaran. Hi, Alan. Yeah, are you feeling a little lonely without Mona Lisa? I'm just fine. Eh? You're fine. You're okay. <laughs> I see you've actually trimmed your beard. Yeah, you know, I had this little thing sticking out. I tried to use the trimmer. Yeah. And before you know what, this is what I end up taking most of it off. <laughs> <laughs> now, our guest today is Lindiwe Shibambo, founder and MD of Made For You. Based in Pretoria, this business was founded in 2007, and Lindiwe has received numerous awards over the years. She provides a domestic worker employment service, including placing nannies and home care workers at various homes. Let's have a look. Made for You is a professional domestic service recruitment and training agency offering placement solutions that provide structure to a highly personalized and often informal service where the workplace is the employer's home. Made for You's services include the recruitment, placement and training of housekeepers, babysitters and more. When I grew up and I finished my matric and I had to further my studies, I could not I could not do that because uh, my mom was a single parent and we had serious financial constraints, came from a very poor background and I could not immediately go to university or anything like that. My auntie that I stayed with in Mamelodi, um, who I was cleaning her house and I was looking after her, her child, uh, I told her about it and she said no, she, she, will, she will help me get a cleaning job. But she couldn't, she got me a job as a domestic worker with one of her colleagues. Made for You trains women from disadvantaged communities in house and time management, cooking, first aid, dealing with criminals or break-ins, and other work-related training. But what are the challenges Lindiwe has faced in growing this establishment? The biggest challenge was the skill to start a recruitment agency and not just a traditional one a very unique and different one that, that looks at people with no education. Since its inception in 2007, Lindiwa has employed six permanent workers and four freelancers with a turnover of 823,000 rand in the last financial year. Coming from being a domestic worker to working in the office, I mean, it's huge. It's very big. I'm now using Microsoft Excel, Word, whatever. Now I'm like an office lady, you see and it helps that um, experience also experience-wise. It will mean that it's, um, I'm being skilled better than I was before, meaning better prospects for me in the future. And for me, the first thing I would say I, I take pleasure in is, is seeing that woman who had no job, who had no hope, who had nothing, live here with something and come back after two, three months looking better, her skin a bit radiant, and just to come in and say thank you guys for helping me. Although having successfully opened a number of branches in the top 10, Bindiwe has since closed these in order to execute an exciting new plan. I've been very privileged that um, in terms of where when I see the business, it, it was quite clear in my mind that I, I'm going to go for the franchising route. The challenges with that, with, with franchising is one, you need to have a proper structured signature branch with proper marketing mechanisms, proper systems and a well-trained staff. 
even with so many accolades and business awards presented to Lindyware for her remarkable work, there is still room for growth. I really, really, really need assistance with number one, upskilling of the internal staff members uh, in terms of customer care, in terms of time management, and of course your simple skills like Word and Outlook, and really how to to attend to clients' uh, inquiries and queries timely and promptly. Secondly, I'd, I'd love the experts to help me with um, the building of the signature branch, the sourcing of the funding for that. Um, uh, how can we get the funding for that? How can we get investors to invest in that? And lastly, I would say, you know, the marketing and advertising of Made For You as, as a brand. Now, Lindiwe has several short-term goals, which include training for office administrators, and she'd also like our advice on internal and external branding with an eye towards franchising. Lindiwe, do you want to expand more on that? Yes. Um, I think in terms of this kind of business, one of the biggest things is that it's that you need to be able to attend to clients immediately. Most of the clients that will call us are people that would say, my domestic worker did not come back. I need somebody as in now. Yeah. And number one, the staff members within the branch are not trained to, to be able to do that. Secondly, we don't have the capacity to be able to quickly get someone, get them into a vehicle, and immediately they report for duty. Of course, the dream was for us to be able to do that. And uh, So why you, don't you? I'm trying to understand why don't you have that capacity to, to do that? I think, you know, when you speak capacity, you're speaking of something like, with this kind of business and the numbers that I'm dealing with, you, you're looking at one of the biggest things being at least having a call center where you have four, six call center agents that are attending to incoming calls. Because remember, we have incoming calls from clients in household. We have incoming calls from retirement homes that are looking for home-based nurses. And then you have the job seekers themselves calling. So at times it becomes such a huge influx of traffic mm. that we can't manage it. That's the first thing. And second thing, we don't have the ICT infrastructure to be able to immediately attend to client queries, you know, press a button, put that clients on the system, match them to the relevant domestic worker, get somebody who's a driver to drive them out. So we don't have the capacity. We don't have resources, no funding for that. You have currently about a thousand placements out there right now, yes. as we speak, right? Yes. I mean, it's a lot of placements, and if I look at the, the, the turnover mentioned in the clip of 823,000, so obviously some of them are, are being paid directly. Yes. So you're like an a, getting an agency fee in that, is that right? Yes, uh, the clients would have two, two options. So as a client, as a household, you choose that I want to pay my helper through the agency. And the advantage of that is if you pay your helper through us, we register them for UIF, they have a provident fund, they've got a medical aid, mm. and they receive pay slips. But if you feel, I don't want, I just want you to do the placement, I'll pay directly and register my domestic worker. That also is a choice that you have. So most clients would feel, well, for now, I mean, we, we are a good brand, but we, we don't have that much of a wonderful reputation yet. So that clients can be comfortable in saying, I want to pay through Made For You and Made For You would then pay the salary through. How do you earn your money in each of those two models? Number one, it's the, the, the placement fee is charged. In, in both circumstances, the placement fee is charged. Of what percentage? It's 1,005 oh. fixed. Fixed? Yes. Okay, that's too low already. We can, uh, I don't even know what, what he's thinking, but I know what he's thinking. 
one five is too little to charge. We felt that it's like an introductory fee as, as much, I mean, we're building the business. How long does okay, it take so where do you make your money then? Sorry? So where does she make your money? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing that the, the, the business, when I structured the business model, it was like, okay, because we became very active in 2010 July. So I, I gave myself at least three to four years to introduce the brand, to build the brand. So that 1,005 will be the placement fee, and that's how we make money, firstly. Secondly, we have, jo we have job seekers registration fees. So the, it's 200 rands. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, what we were looking at is to say, because we have partnered with, with these companies that are supplying your medical aid and your provident fund, we should in future look at charging an admin fee for that. Mm -hmm. But for now, because we feel we're introducing this to the market, yes, there are existing agencies, but most of them are not licensed and they don't, they don't do it like we do it. So we feel like as soon as we're well established within the market, we'll and the one that where that. you pay, the, the first option where you pay the salary? Is we do have an agency fee that How we much? charge. It's between 135 to 200. Right, so of those 1,000 people, that 2,500 and it's 1.5 million, is that right? The math is right. Yeah, but that's over a period of time. Yes, so which means you need to be placing more people, that's what that does, to be getting more of that 1,000. Yeah, but I'm, yes. even, I'm, I'm concerned about the number because my guess is that if I work at 1,500, if you look at the cost to recruit the, those staff, to interview those staff, to train those staff, Etc. Etc. To place those staff, it's in excess of fifteen hundred rand. Right. Yeah. The normal recruitment business they charge about ten, fifteen percent. You know, for blue call, you know, like a, a basic of annual salary. Yeah. yeah. So whatever the annual salary is, times ten or fifteen percent, it's got to be more than the one five, right? I Are totally you? agree. But you must remember that also to say to to household. I would be placing at ten percent of annual salary. You must be in a position of supplying skilled trained mm. domestic workers and we I mean as, as much as we're working on the training center and so forth we have not started with that yet in terms of making sure that we train the employees before they are sent out so if we the foundation to a large extent I feel like the foundation is having a training hub where all the domestic workers will be polished and will be will be trained what about if you made it compulsory that there was only option one no option two so then you just up your agency fee hmm. and put your recruitment fee via that on a disclosed basis, but uh, you know, it's less admin for them and uh, you're upping what you're earning. At least you've been fairly compensated. Well, that's an option to look at, yes. We'll be right back with some more fact-finding questions. In our expert slot today, we have uh, Colleen Larson, who is CEO of Business Engage. Colleen is uh, a regular on BSBS, or Big Small Business Show. And today we're going to be talking about networking, and particularly around the personality of the networker. Welcome. Thank you. Every single business show talks about networking. It's obviously that important. But... I still, when I, when I speak to entrepreneurs, get a sense that they don't understand the difference between selling and networking. Let's just start there. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, is especially in terms of ne networking, it is about building relationships. And you never ever know where that relationship is going to go. So the difference between networking and selling is that a satisfaction you get from the immediate sale, mm -hmm. but then it perhaps doesn't sustain for a long time in terms of a relationship. Networking is building re relationships so that you've got a long-term um, 
opportunity to work with, with that, that person. Entrepreneurs that I speak to talk about the, the sense of discomfort around a sort of, uh, it feels inauthentic for them to be networking, not just around a personality, which we'll talk about just now, but it feels like, like I want something out of you. What would you say to them? If you're going in to make that immediate sale, people aren't stupid, they're going to pick it up. But if you go in with a genuine, op the genuine objective to, to build those relationships, you'll, you'll get a, res a reciprocal from those people. So people are watching this, some of them are going to be introverts, are going to think, oh, you know, this networking is for all the extroverts. Is that true? No, it's not, because if you're an introvert, generally you've learned the skill of listening. Mm. And networking, if you can listen, is very, very effective. Because then you're listening to what the other person wants. And it might not be something that you're able to offer, but it's somebody that you may be able to introduce that person to that will spin off some other business opportunities for you. So especially introverts are, are normally very good networkers. So just give me a, a, a tip now. I'm an introvert. I'm at a at a networking event, I finally pluck up the courage to go to a networking mm -hmm. event. I'm there, or an event which might have some mm -hmm. networking in it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole bunch of people talking, they're in a crowd down there, and I'm standing here with my glass of wine or my cool drink mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. What do I do? How do I break in there? What do I do? You smile. You smile. Right? Absolutely immediate, because the minute you smile, you're opening yourself up. And generally, if you're standing on your own, Somebody will come up to you and say, I see you standing on your own. Why don't you come join us? But it's if you stand there, just uh, absolute blank face. Unapproachable. Unapproachable. You, you won't get that opportunity. But maybe you're standing there smiling. They're thinking you're a little cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does, that does sometimes happen, but it's not generally the case. I think people are, are genuine with regards to not wanting people to feel uncomfortable. A bit of a weird question. Is there like a better place to position yourself at at a networking event by the toilet or by the, <laughs> uh, by the bar. Well, I would wonder why you want to position at the toilet or at the bar, but anyway, traffic, different, different connotations <laughs> with regards to that. But, but, but I do think it's, it's more I, the way I, I started and um, started my networking was you, you go and you look at the attendance register hmm. and see if there is anybody particularly that you, you do know. If there isn't, what I do do is I just go up and introduce myself. Yeah, somebody once gave me advice around uh, uh, networking. If you're watching two people, the way you obviously have watched the one person try now network with another, that you should not go into that kind of environment where they're two very intimate, where somebody's definitely trying to network with somebody because that other person will will sort of block you out. Rather go into an environment where it's more sort of a loose um, bunch of people. I think there's, but you can, you can tell, if it's really uh, intense, yeah. I wouldn't break into that because straight away it's, well, why are you coming, yeah. you know, what's the, but, but if it's just two people standing and, and speaking, it doesn't mean to say that you can't go up to them and introduce yourself. Mm. You, will, you will know, because their body language will tell whether they're totally close to somebody coming into, into their space or whether they're open to more people and if it's just a general conversation. But you'll, you'll see from a facial expression, you'll see from their body language, you'll see from just the whole tone of that, that whole conversation, whether it's an opportunity for you to go in and, and speak or not. Speak about the positioning about around the bar. You know, often people think that they need a couple of drinks before, to loosen up in order to be better networkers. Your view on that? 
Well, first of all, it depends on if you can handle the drink because you never want to get up the following day and not know what you said the night before, <laughs> what you committed to. So, I think that's a general rule. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there have been in some environments where, where some ladies have woken up and said, oh, I don't know what I did last night. I don't know who I was with last night. And that is not great mm. because that does not show integrity. Mm. It doesn't show authenticity. It doesn't show your skill at anything besides doing something underhanded to get the, the job. So my sense is it's, there's a time and place for that, but it's not in a business networking environment. So the, so the image around networking is standing up at an environment, some finger food, a bath, maybe something going on. But there's also that table situation mm -hmm. where you're all sitting around a table. Is there some sort of tips around how you would network at a, a table of eight to ten people? Absolutely. Well, it's, you know, it, it is about walking in. And yes, it is. Sometimes you do feel inhibited when you're walking in and there's only one seat and everybody's already been sitting there. But understand that if you just open up to the opportunity and go and sit and introduce yourself. So don't sit and just listen. Say, my name is. Hmm. My name is Colleen and this is, this is who I am and I'm glad to meet all of you. Because the thing is, is that some, everybody started somewhere. Mm. I always say, and, and some people say to me, oh, Colleen, you can't fake it till you make it, and it is. You walk in there, and sometimes it's gonna feel really uncomfortable, but eventually you'll start getting to a point where you're comfortable. It is more comfortable to do it in small groups. Mm. So I know some people will say, oh, they walk into a big uh, cocktail party, and it's, oh, somebody please smile at me, I don't know who to talk to. But in smaller environments, it does give you that confidence mm. because you will see that other people are there to, meet, to uh, form relationships just like you. Last question for me is around the follow-up. You know, you spoke about the 500 cards, but, mm. and, and you spoke about the research before, going to see who's there, and the more, a more, in the inverted commas, targeted approach. Is there any etiquette around following up afterwards, like how long, what you can say? I generally follow up within 24 hours because if you follow up within a week, they've, you've forgotten. Mm. So, and that is why when you are collecting business cards, make sure you know why you're contacting that person, who that person is, where the, the connection was. Because if you just email somebody and say, oh, I met you at an event, well, which event was that? What were we talking about? There is no rapport. Whereas if you can actually mention, we were standing speaking about X, Y, and Z, and I agree to contact you on this basis, there's always that follow-up opportunity. Even when I get home from events, with that evening, whether I sit up until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, I send off my email because it's fresh in my mind as to why I wanted to contact that person. And understand you're going to get some people that don't respond to you. It's, it's the name of the game. Mm. But generally, you will find that if you follow up exactly or immediately after the event, you are going to get the response you're looking for. Pauline Larson, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Alain. Today's show was an interesting show for me. I mean, Vusi was absolutely phenomenal. But I want to talk about uh, the interview with Lindiwe, and really two things stood out for me there that are very important for entrepreneurs. The first is the ability to start over again. I see too many entrepreneurs bound by the past. They're in a pattern which is obviously not serving them and they don't know how to break out. So I'm, I'm saying to those entrepreneurs, you have to find the courage to start over again and again and again until you find 
the, the right model for your business, which I'll talk about just, just now. So the way to think about that is that every moment as an entrepreneur is a choice. Every interaction with another person is a choice. You choose uh, one way or another. You choose to use this energy. You choose to not use this energy. To use this lesson, not to use this lesson. To use this anything or not to use it or in which way to use that. And so if you have that mental attitude, you have the ability to start again because you can start something new at every point. But the corollary to this is that hard is not wrong. So very often what I find with particularly young entrepreneurs is they go up a path that's very difficult. They say, ah, it must be wrong, and they start again. I've spoken about Control-Alt-Delete. Hard is not wrong. Yeah, what, what you have to work out as an entrepreneur is what, is what is the right path for you and what isn't. But hard is not wrong. And the last thing on that point is to leave your ego at the door. Because too often we get stuck in the path because we've invested, we've told everyone this is what we're going to do. And it's obviously the wrong thing. But if we're so invested in having told everyone that that's what we're going to do, that we can't unstick ourselves or decouple ourselves from, from the past. So leave your ego at the door. The second thing I want to talk about here is become an expert in, in designing the most profitable business in your industry. So what I really want Lindiwe to understand is how do I make the most profitable b business and sustainable business in this industry? And, and there are three rules about doing that. Number one, know your numbers. Number two, know your numbers. Number three, know your numbers.